part two of our series that we're calling To Be or Not To Be. And if you missed last week, uh, I, I would encourage you, first of all, uh, just go online, greatjoy.org. You can, you can always keep up with the messages. We try to build message upon message, series upon series if we can. Uh, uh, and, and I like the way that these two have dovetailed together. Uh, the beginning of the year, we did a series that we called Satisfied. And we're really kind of playing off of the Snickers commercial that said that you're not you when you're hungry. And likewise, we are not us. We are not who God created us to be when we have not had the proper spiritual nutri- nutrients. I mean, when we are, when we are uh, 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 you know, lacking the basic uh, vitamins of faith and things that God has given to us, uh, we can't become the person that God wants us to be. And, uh, and, and in that series, we mentioned that there are physical conditions that happen to people that uh, their bodies just will not allow them to process certain nutrients, uh, you know, lactose intolerance, different things like that, that people, they just can't get the benefit and the nutriment, nutriment from whatever it is that they are eating, and it causes them some problems sometimes. And and, and, and similarly, there are things that can happen spiritually. There are conditions, heart conditions that we can have in our life that stops us from receiving what God has for us. And in this series, To Be or Not To Be, we're talking about one of the, I think one of the most important things that, that you could ever hear about and that, that it afflicts Christians, it, it, it crushes churches, it stops God from working in people's lives. And, and so uh, this series, To Be or Not To Be, I think is something that is is. I don't know, it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough topic to talk about, and sometimes I think it's tougher for people to hear, but I, I, I just, you know, I'm praying that this comes out the way that, that the Spirit of God wants it to come out so that it can benefit your life and bless you, and so we're in part two of that, and, and to set this up, I need you to use your imagination for just a couple of moments this morning. So, you know, just whatever gear you have to shift into to get over to that imagination part, like, you know, imagine service will be done early, that kind of a thing, you know, because uh, that isn't going to happen. But anyway, uh, um, just using your imagination, how many of you saw the movie uh, um, You've Got Mail? Anybody? How many of you saw You've Got Mail? Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. All right. Or maybe if you're a little bit older, uh, you saw the movie uh, Shop Around the Corner, made in 1940 with Jimmy Stewart and, and uh, uh, Margaret somebody, I can't remember what her name was. But anyway, how many of you saw that one? You saw that? Atta boy. Way to go, Nick. I'd be embarrassed to admit that because it's just you and me that saw it. And didn't they totally rip off You've Got Mail? Yes. It's, I mean, it's identical. 1940s movie. And that was actually a, a screenplay by a Hungarian guy. That's why that shop around the corner was in Hungary. But anyway, me and, me and Nick will have that conversation later over a, a cup of chai tea or something because it's a chick flick. But anyway, all right, sorry if that offended you. But anyway... Um, Good preaching, amen. All right, so here's, all right, meanwhile, back at the message. Come on back, come on back. Leave the shop for just a second. All right, now here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to use your imagination. Um, um, and, and those movies or that movie that many of you are familiar with kind of sets up where I want to start this morning. And that's simply this. Um, online dating is a big deal. A lot of people have probably over the last couple of years, several weddings that we have been privileged to do um, have, have been as a result of people meeting online, whether it's eHarmony, Match, whatever it might be, meeting online, those kinds of things. So, all right, so here's, here's the imagination part. And I'm going to leave the characters up to you to fill in the blanks, all right? Because I don't want to be sexist. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be predictable in all of this. So it's up to you to create the image, which is why I asked you to put on your creative hat, your imagination hat for just a moment. So here's the scoop. So this guy and girl, they're, they're you know, both looking for love. And as they're looking for love, they get online and they get online, they begin, they meet one another. 
And, and so they began online, they began chatting and talking and doing whatever you do when you're online and all that stuff. And finally, they've gotten enough information and they've talked to each other enough where they say, you know what, it's time for us to meet, to actually in real life, flesh and blood as two humanoids coming together and meet in a certain place. And so they decide we are going to meet at three o'clock at Starbucks and, and uh, uh, Saturday afternoon, all right? So that's the plan, they're gonna meet, big deal, right? I mean, you can imagine, you've never seen this person in real life and who you think you're talking to and who you're actually talking to could be two totally different things. And so there's a little bit of apprehension and nervousness. And so in your thinking, whoever shows up at the coffee shop at three o'clock, they're sitting there. And while they're sitting there, three o'clock becomes 3.05. Not a big deal. 3.05 though becomes 3.10. And 3.10 becomes 3.15, kind of like, you know, I'm... You know, and there is that whole awkward thing. Should I get a cup of coffee? Should I wait until the other person arrives? And maybe, you know, I should buy, or are they buying? Who's, uh, I'm sitting here, I don't know what to do about that exactly. I don't even know what kind of coffee they like. You know, maybe they like chai tea latte instead. I don't know. I should, you know, maybe triple espresso caramel mako, whatever those things are. I don't know what that is. And so then 3.15, you're sitting there, people are kind of looking at you because you're not doing anything which is probably like most people in Starbucks, but regardless. And so at 3.15, though, 3.15 becomes 20, 3.20 becomes awkward. Because it's like, all right, it's 20 minutes late. That's, that's a totally different thing. And 3.25 becomes 3.30, and it's sort of a reverse walk of shame where it's kind of like, oh, man, I'm just, you know, I came into the coffee shop, and I didn't even get a cup of coffee. And what happened to that person that I was supposed to meet? What happened? What happened? And this is what I want you to think about. We're going to come back to this in a little bit, but, but I want what happened? How come that person didn't show up? It's because your answer becomes very important in why that person didn't show up. And there's something that happens in our thinking that we're most of the time not even aware of that is going on because our brains are incredibly accurate at creating scenarios for us that may not be accurate. All right? So, with that, I want us to go back to something. In Luke chapter 17 and verse one, Jesus makes this statement. Luke 17, one, words in red. It's the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you believe Jesus? Yeah. Amen. Luke 17, one says, then he said unto his disciples, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. It is impossible for you to live this life without the opportunity of being offended. You will not escape this life without the opportunity or the offense will present itself as an opportunity for you to pick it up, to take offense. Then Jesus went on and he said, but woe unto him through whom they come. Jesus said, you're gonna have the opportunity to be offended. Just make sure you're not the one who is the offending party or the offensive one. And, and last week we talked about some of the scenarios. We used a couple of different scriptures. And I, and I see a, a journey almost, a, a, a path, a progression that happens. Because one translation, it says offense. Uh, King James, New King James. Another translation says stumble. Jesus said that you will have the opportunity to stumble. Just make sure you're not the stumbling block. Another translation said, Jesus said, you're going to have the opportunity to sin, just make sure you're not the one that's causing the sin. And looking at that, I began to see something that is very common in people's lives. We take offense, and if we're not careful, this is why I said it'd be a good idea just to go back, and, and, and if you weren't here last week, to, to pick this up, because it will help you. If we take offense, offense will cause us to stumble, and if we're not careful, stumbling will lead us to sin. 
And here's the thing with offense and this progression, and here's what can happen, is when that begins to happen, offense can take you someplace that you do not want to go, and once you get there, it will hold you prisoner, and it will squeeze the life out of you. And the really, really sad thing is that most people don't even recognize that it's happening. They don't know that it's going on. And so when Jesus said this, that that it is impossible for you to live this life without the opportunity to be offended, that word offense is the Greek word scandalon. We get the word scandalize or scandal from it. But what it really means, and here's a picture of it, what it really means is the offense is the part of the trap that the bait sits on. Now, how many of you know what happens to the mouse, theoretically, and if everything's in good working order and it's not a really fast mouse, um, what happens when the mouse tries to take the cheese, what happens to the mouse? It generally is not that good of a thing, is it, for the mouse? Like we said last week, but the second mouse will get the cheese. But anyway, Jesus said that you're going to have the opportunity, bait is going to present itself to you. Every single one of us, We'll have the opportunity to have bait presented to us in some form or fashion in our life. And the reason that I'm kind of belaboring that point is because we live in an age, we live in a day that that there are people that are so quickly offended. They are so quick to, to rise in judgment of somebody else because of an offense. We have people that help others to know that they should be offended. We really do. Now, I want, to, I want you to, I'm going to say this a couple of times, I really want you to hear me. When we talk about offense, I know that I'm talking to some people that have been through some extremely difficult situations. Very, very hurtful things have been said or done. I am not implying by anything that I say in this entire series, I'm not implying, hey, just get over it. I'm not saying that this morning, all right? But I am, I am saying something similar but way different. You can get over it and you can get past it and God wants to help you with it. He wants to help you out of that trap. And again, the sad thing is, the hard thing is, is that many people have taken the bait, they have been trapped and they have been snared and they don't recognize that they are in a trap and in a snare. Here's what I mean. In the book of Ephesians chapter six, we are, we are given a scripture and, and I think many of you have seen people, right, that have been offended, they've been, they've been, been uh, hurt, they you know, maybe there's an X or there's this or there's that that has happened and they're holding on to something and they're unable to let go of it and that, that which they're holding on to consumes their life in a way that they can't, they can't function in a healthy way. Probably all of you know somebody, you've maybe seen some people like that. Well, God wants to help us out of that. And it's one thing that's kind of funny if it's in a coffee shop and it's, you know, a movie, but when it's real life, it's not funny, And so in Ephesians chapter six, we're given a text of scripture that a lot of Christians really, really, really like, but they don't fully understand what Paul was talking about when we read this scripture. And you don't get to start in Ephesians 6.10, you don't get to start there until you've worked your way through the rest of the book, until you've gotten through the important stuff to understand why Paul was relating in the way that he was. And so let's read from Ephesians chapter six and verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, the finally refers you back to everything that he said from the first chapter until right now. Finally, my brethren, because of everything that I've been talking about, because of everything that I have said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just trying to be strong. Well, if you're trying to be strong, then you've missed it. 
Because this is not saying you be strong, you be strong in something else, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You aren't strong in your might. You aren't strong in your strength. Your strength will come to an end and your might will run out. But the strength of God that's in you is always greater. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen? You are thousands of times stronger on the inside than you are on the outside. Learn to live from the outside, inside out, not the outside in. Forget the feelings. Forget that stuff. And, and that's really what faith is. Faith believes it's there even though it doesn't feel like it's there. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil are the schemes, the traps, the tricks that the devil has. They are the things that lay in wait to ensnare you. And the Bible says that you and I should put on specific armor, specific things so that we don't fall into the enemy's trap. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, why would Paul say that? Our battle, our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Why would he say that? Because of the finally. Right before this, at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, the Apostle Paul was talking about some of the most common and yet powerful relationships that we ever enter into. He was talking about husbands and wives. That is a wonderfully, beautifully powerful relationship that, that, that many people have. He was talking about Parents to children and children to parents. Another powerful yet common experience that all of us have, have encountered in some way, shape, or form. He talked about the relationship between uh, uh, businessmen, employers, and employees. And that's another relationship that many people have. He was talking about slave and free. He was talking about a lot of different things that it relates to relationships. And then Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God because you aren't wrestling with flesh and blood. In other words, he's saying people are not your problem. Your problem is not your husband or your wife. Your problem is not your children or your parents. Your problem is not your dumb boss or your stupid job. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there is a struggle. There is a battle. There is a fight. There is a war. And what did he say that it was? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual, uh, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because our battle's not with flesh and blood, but, it, but, but there's demonic or evil influence in the world. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, stand in the face of that onslaught, that attack, and what's going on around you. Now, that thought right there, these relational dynamics were happening and they can happen. And, and, and some of those things are incredibly wonderful. I thank God for my wife and my kids. Thank God for the, the relationship that we have in that way. And, and, and I've had some really good bosses in my past and I've had some that weren't so good. But I'm thankful I had a job. And sometimes we just endure the job 
because we need the money, <laughs> right? But you know what? Not everybody's had that opportunity. My mom, thank, I thank God for my mom. Didn't always agree with her when I was a kid, <laughs> which most parents, or most kids don't agree with their parents when they're kids. But I didn't agree with her when I, I didn't like some of the things. But she made me, made me come to church when I didn't want to go to church. She introduced me to music and she prayed for me. I know that she prayed for me because after she passed away, I found things in her Bible, pads where she had written down names and she was praying for us, her, her kids, my brothers, praying for us. And so I appreciate that a lot. But I know this also that not everybody's had that experience. Some of you have grown up in homes where, where maybe your parents weren't very involved at all in your life and you were just sort of left to your own or maybe you were raised in an environment, I think they're called helicopter parents. Parents are always hovering, they're always there, they're always messing in your business and all that other stuff and, and, and maybe that environment wasn't that great and certainly some people have been raised in homes that were abusive and that is a very powerful thing that can happen and that's part of the reason that Paul was writing some of the things that he was writing. Some of you have been raised in environments that were so difficult and hard. Others of you have gone through maybe divorce or re relational upheaval that has left you shattered. And it feels like, man, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I don't know if I could ever trust again. I don't know if I could ever love again. You are so damaged in that way. And others have, have maybe been passed over for a promotion or there's been conflict with higher ups and, and, and you feel like you've been ripped off. You feel like... Uh, like somebody did something to you that you wish that somehow you could get them to admit or make them pay in some way. And so when I say these things to you, I'm not saying this from a heart that just says, you know, just get over it. Because I understand that's not easy. We've all, all of us have at times taken the bait. Amen. At times we have chosen to be offended. We didn't recognize it in that way, but we've, take, we've, we've made that choice. Now, here's why this is so important. And, and, and next week we'll talk a little bit more about this. How do you recover yourself? How, how do you get out of that? But, but, but let me just give you why this is so important. In, in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is why this matters. Notice in verse 23, <clears throat> Paul was writing to Timothy, a young minister, and he said, but avoid. Everybody say Avoid. Avoid foolish and ignorant. What does the word ignorant mean? Dumb, stupid, right? Without knowledge, exactly, without knowledge. He said, avoid foolish and dumb, stupid arguments that are without knowledge. Avoid them. Everybody say avoid them. What does that mean? Stay away. Number one, stay away. Knowing See, if you don't know this, you won't stay away from it, knowing that they generate strife. Stay away from stupid things because they will generate strife. I think the King James, New King, uh, different, different translation says, they will lead to strife. Again, this is a path. This is a journey. This is a direction. And so he says, if you don't want to go that direction, avoid Foolish, stupid, dumb arguments. <laughs> Verse 24. And a servant of the Lord. This is similar to Jesus' teaching. We talked a little bit about it in Luke 17. We talked a little bit about it last week. But avoid. Or I'm sorry. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Some of you are like, dang it. 
servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Humility means teachableness. With teachableness, being willing to engage others. Jesus said it like this, rebuke. Rebuke someone. And, and I think that we think rebuke is, you stupid fool, you're just a no good for nothing idiot. We think that's how we rebuke people. Don't you know that the Bible says? Don't we do that sometimes? Why you? What is he saying? The servant of the Lord. It's going to be easy for us when the opportunity is presented to get into dumb, foolish arguments. But the servant of the Lord. And see, really, that argument is going like this. I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm trying to prove how wrong you are. And he says the servant of the Lord shouldn't act that way, shouldn't respond that way. We should, we should correct or bring our point of view with a spirit of humility. And then he's, notice what he says, verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now, we as followers of Christ, we've got the word of God. That is the truth of God's word. And, and we do have an obligation and a responsibility to speak to the truth that is God's word. Amen? We really, really do. But it should never be that we're twisting somebody's arm. We've got them in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, in a stranglehold and we're giving them noogies and we're going to keep it there until they finally admit that we are right and they're wrong. We shouldn't go that way. This is what he says. If God perhaps, perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, the snare, the trap, the bait, that they may recover themselves from the snare of the devil, having, having notice this, this is so important, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Here's the path. Paul was writing to Timothy, echoing some things that Jesus had said. And he said, there's a path. And it starts with foolish arguments. And generally the foolish argument is over who's right and who's wrong. And it comes because we both are in a position that we think we're right and we're ready to go to, I mean, we're ready to do battle over how right we are. And when that happens, Paul was saying, you need to go to them with a spirit of humility, teachableness. You need to go to them, not to prove how right you are and how wrong they are. A teachable attitude says, I'm going to listen. I'm going to try to understand how you are seeing what you are seeing. How many of you have ever heard this? There's three sides to every story. There's your side, my side, the right side. You see, we tend to see things, particularly when it's a difficult emotional thing, we tend to see things in, in the light that helps us the best. We tend to see things in a way that proves our point. And it's not until we can come together without fear and animosity towards each other that we can begin to truly express and understand where the other person is coming from. But Paul didn't stop there. He says, the reason that we're doing that is because we want that person to recover themselves from a snare. Because if they don't recover themselves from the snare, they are taken captive and they will do the enemy's will. They will do work for the enemy. And here's the thing. 
Many of you know people like this. They've been so hurt and they've been so bitter that they're just spewing stuff. They're just, I mean, everywhere they go, they are a toxic waste dump. Amen? And yet, many times those people have no idea. They have no idea that they're spewing the stuff that they're spewing and that their life is toxic. They don't know that. Which is why Paul said, I I want you to go to them and I want you to help them to see so that they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil because the devil is taking them captive. He's got them prisoner and they are doing things that are his bidding rather than the bidding of God. And we know people like that. And so Paul is saying, don't you become like that. Don't you be like that. Be careful about yourself. In the book of Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 17, great word picture, scripture. Proverbs 26, 17 says, he that passes, he that passes by and meddles with strife in a quarrel that is not his own is like one who takes a dog, grabs a dog by the ears. How many of you know, if you've got a great big snarling pit bull or something like that and you try to grab that dog by the ears, what's gonna happen? You're a fool. You're gonna get bit, aren't you? And yet many of us do not think twice about, we hear something, oh, who, who, what? Oh, yeah, well, all right. You know, we get on Facebook, you know, we're, we're going to join the big fight. Avoid foolish and stupid arguments because they, they have a destination. Don't think that you're not going to get caught up in it. Don't think that it's not going to come back and bite you in the backside. In the book of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7, listen to this. Proverbs 9, 7. He who corrects a scoffer, You see, we think that we just should correct everybody. He who corrects a scoffer, that's somebody, a scoffer is a person that that, that is uh, antagonistic towards those who have faith in God. they're, 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 They're the people that are making fun of. I think of sometimes, you know, some late night comedians that aren't always really funny, but they they will make fun of religion, God, Christianity, those kinds of things. That's a scoffer. And it says, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. Saying, you're not going to win the battle. You're not going to win the argument with a scoffer. If you're trying to argue with them and bring correction to them, forget it. Then he goes on, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. I think the message says, it's like you get kicked in the shin. (laughs) The King James says that you get yourself a blot. A blot was an accounting term, an accounting term that meant basically that it's scratched out from your credit. You're trying to do the right thing, but it turns out wrong. And it's because, and this is not just your average run-of-the-mill sinner. The wicked is this person that is so antagonistic and hateful towards God or faith or or Christianity or anything like that. They're just just totally hell-bent on going the other way. So the scoffer, the wicked. But then he says this in verse 8. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Now, three different people that are mentioned in this scripture. There is the scoffer, there is the wicked, and there is the wise. Can I ask you a question this morning? How many of you would prefer to be the wise rather than the wicked or the scoffer? Anyone? I think we all do, right? We want to be the wise, not the wicked, not the scoffer. In fact, most of you would probably say this morning, well, okay, by the process of elimination, I'm not a scoffer. I'm certainly not wicked. I guess I'm wise. Oh, little grasshopper. Oh, you got things to learn here. Here's the thing. 
I think this is interesting. You see, there's an emotional response and there's, there's the whew. And the last thing that we want many times when, when we either think we're in the wrong or being accused of being wrong, how many of you know that the last thing you really want, you don't really want a lot of people bringing correction your way. Amen? My wife and I have learned something. Through process and error, there's a process of elimination, conflict and error. She'll sometimes say, or I'll say to her, she'll say to me, when would be a good time for us to talk? <sighs> there aren't many words that put more fear into my heart. <laughs> when would be a good time to talk? Well, it depends. What'd you catch me at? You know, I mean, what did I do wrong this time? What's, you know, kind of, but, but what that does is that gives me a moment or her a moment to prepare. Something's coming. Rather than, and I can't say October, uh, October 32nd, you know. Well, October, uh, October 32nd would be a great day to, to, to let's schedule that at, uh, you know, never kind of a thing. But that gives us a moment so that our defenses are down just a little bit. Rather than kind of a thing. And so I want to show you how quickly, how quickly we can fall into these things. How quickly these things can, can sort of uh, around us, they can, they can disintegrate. And, 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 and so again, in Ephesians 6, Jesus first of all said, you will all have the opportunity to take the bait. And then Paul said that in these relational things that go on in life, we need to be strong and we need to be aware because people aren't our problem. People are not our problem. Our parents weren't our problem. Our kids aren't our problem. Our job's not our problem. Our boss not our problem. Our ex isn't our problem. Our problem is that there are people who are being influenced by spiritual wickedness, by, by demonic forces, by the devil. And many of you say, amen, you have, you, you've met my ex, haven't you? You know exactly what my boss is like. Because if there's anybody that's ever been inspired by the devil, it's that she-witch. <laughs> there are people who say those kinds of things. But here's the thing. Everything that we've talked about is really, really easy to see in other people, but it is next to impossible for us to see in the mirror. We can see it in a lot of other people, but we have a hard time seeing it in us. In Proverbs, when we talked about the dog, and if you meddle with a person that is a strife-filled person, you're going to get bit. But what many of us fail to realize is that sometimes we're not the person trying to grab the ears, we're the dog. And that sometimes it isn't other people that are our problem, it is us who is the problem. Many times we have taken something or we have heard something or something has gone on and we have reacted and responded in a way that was not appropriate. It was totally inappropriate. And so I want to pull your imagination back just for a moment this morning. Let's go back to the coffee shop. Three o'clock has turned into 3.30 and it is now awkward. And so let me ask you a question this morning. In that scenario, as you've had a little bit of time to chew on it, think about it, work on it, why did that person not show up? Anybody just, just shout it out. Why did that person not show up? Car trouble. Car trouble, all right. Forgot about it. The wrong Starbucks. <laughs> Pardon? 
just nervous. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, snap. They came and didn't like what they saw. Ow. Ooh. Anyone else want to take a stab at it? A car collision. All right. Well, those are all good ones. Those are, those are all, who knows? They could have all happened. But here's the thing. In that scenario, we really don't know, do we? We really don't know. We are grasping at straws because we don't know. Now, let me ask you a question. If you thought, like, like Ron said, if you thought, if you're sitting there and it's 3.30 and you're like, why did that person not show up? What happened to them? What, what went on? If your thought was, maybe they had an accident, what would your response be? Compassion? What? Call them? Well, what if you don't have their number? What if you don't know what hospital they went to? What if you don't know any of their friends? That would be a totally different, I mean, that would be a response. What if, like Pastor Tommy said, what if, what if your thinking was, I know what it was. I saw that one person walk up and then they walked away. They looked at me and they didn't like what they saw. What would your response be then? Hurt? Anger? What if they were just late? Or what if they forgot? What would your response be if they forgot? Anger? You'd be angry if they forgot? Frustration? You might feel like, hey, if they really meant this, they wouldn't have forgot. Right? Here's the thing. We have no idea why they did what they did. Here's, the, here's, here's how our minds are designed. Our minds are designed for us to arrive at a conclusion. Our minds are designed to connect the dots when we don't have the connecting points for the dots. When we are wondering, our mind goes to work to begin to create scenarios of why something happened. Now, what we have created in our imagination may or may not be the truth, but that doesn't matter. Because whatever we think is true, regardless of whether it is true or not. And so what happens is we arrive at a conclusion. Our mind is designed to help us get to a conclusion. It is designed to get us to a point where we can say, ah, there, I understand. And again, that conclusion may help you understand or it may lead you totally away from the entire situation. And so when we assume we, when we assume, we assume that we know the heart, the motive, and the intention of why a person did what they did. When we make an assumption, assumptions are always made for our benefit. And when we make an assumption, we assume that we understand and know the heart, the motive, and the intention of why they did what they did. And so the conclusion, that, conclusion we arrive at, that, that conclusion begins to be that that assumption happens in our life. And so how you respond then, how you respond is going to be determined more by the conclusion or the assumption that you have made than the other person. Your response is going to be based on what you thought, maybe not what actually was. And again, Back in the coffee shop, if you thought that there was an accident, it would cause you to respond. I don't know who to contact. I don't know what to do. I hope they're okay. If you thought that they saw you and walked away because they were afraid, how many of you ever watched the, the catfish show? Not the noodling one, but on MTV where, you know, I mean, if you haven't, don't bother. But anyway, 
there are people who aren't always honest online. Go figure. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, be careful what you read on the internet. But anyway, um, I read it on the internet. But anyway, how you respond is going to be based on the conclusion of your assumption. Your response is based on that. The conclusion then can become a stronghold in your mind. And it's kind of funny if it's in the coffee shop. But if you're thinking that your ex did what they did because of something, that may or, not, may or may not be true. Or if you're thinking your parents this or your kids that, or your job this and your boss that, that can become a stronghold. And all of us have seen people that have allowed that hurt to be such a stronghold in their life that they cannot break free from it and they don't know what they're doing. And the real danger is, is, is that next step. If we're not careful... If we aren't careful, the assumption becomes a judgment. That assumption that I I know why they did what they did, and I, I can see through them, and I know this, and I know that. We begin to set ourselves up as a judge. And if we're not careful, because here's in, in a court of law, you know, I... 30,000 foot view, what happens? Somebody's been accused of something. They step before the judge and the judge hears the evidence and then the judge makes the, the ruling or the decision. You are guilty. And when that guilty verdict is read, then there is a penalty that is assessed upon that person. We call that paying your debt to society. Sometimes it's monetary, sometimes it's time in, in jail, but, but you are paying a debt. And what we do is when we allow that assumption to settle and when we arrive at the conclusion they did what they did, very often the very next step, in fact, it's almost seamless, we become the judge. You're guilty. You're guilty. And then as the judge, we begin to assess a penalty. I'm not going to let it go until we're looking for something. I'm not going to let it go and I'm going I'm to this and I'm going to that. We'll talk about this a little bit more. And again, I, I'm, I'm not saying that these things are easy. In fact, this is kind of Christianity stuff again. Christianity is, it is simple, but it's not always easy. And we want the easy. And this isn't. This is heart work. And it is hard work to free ourselves, to un. To, to be released from that snare so that we don't end up continuing a cycle of hate, continuing a cycle of hurt. Jesus made this statement in, in Luke 17, in verse three. He said, take heed to yourselves. You see, we feel justified. He said in verse one, you're gonna be, have the opportunity to be offended. Often we feel we are justified because they hurt us, because they did that, because they said that, because that happened. We feel justified. But Jesus said, I want you to take heed for yourself. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Remember what that rebuke was. Go to him with a spirit of humility and teachableness. And then he says, and if he repents, forgive him. The word forgive means to release from a debt owed. Release them. You know, I heard somebody say this one time. Two times you need to forgive. One, when they've asked you to forgive them. The second time, when you realize somebody's done something wrong and they didn't ask you to forgive them, you need to let them go. 
But see, human tendency in nature is I want them to pay. I want them to hurt like I hurt. I want them to know the damage that they've done. It's a human reaction. Jesus said, let it go. Because that has an end. It has a path. If you're not careful, it will take you where you don't want to go and, and keep you as a, as a captive there. Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Why? Why should I do that? Because that's what our Heavenly Father did. And he wants us to be like him. Before you ever ask for forgiveness, God already made the plan and the way. He sent his son who spread out his arms, shed his blood, died and rose again so that you and I could be forgiven. And that debt that we owed the high judge of all of, of, of creation, that, that judge of all of eternity, that debt we owed, we had no ability in and of ourselves to pay. God saw that and he stepped into that need. And he brought forgiveness so that when we stood before that judge as guilty and condemned, our defense attorney rose to our, to our side and he said, sir, I have already paid that price. I have already paid for them. That, that debt that they owe, I've paid for so they can be free. And the judge's decree to you and to me is you are free. Prisoner, you can now go free. There is no penalty against you. My judgment is sure and it is good. You are released from that debt. And you know what we do? Woohoo! Thank you, Heavenly Father. I am forgiven. I am free. And we're never more like our Heavenly Father when we're willing to do that. When we're willing to forgive somebody that maybe didn't even ask for it. In John 15, Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love one another, even as I have loved you. We are to show the same care and love for others that God showed for us. And so I'm asking you all to bow your heads and to close your eyes this morning. I have two things that I want to just very quickly pray. Well, number one, Father, first of all, we come to you this morning. Lord, I know that there are people that are here today. Man, hurtful things, powerful things have been done or said against them. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring healing into their life right now. Father God, that your grace would be sufficient and that, Father, they would feel within themselves that sense of letting go. That, Father, we're releasing those that... that are indebted to us. We let them go. Father, we don't want to carry that anymore. We want to be free. And with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never made him the Lord of your life, you've never allowed Jesus to be your defense attorney, it's a step of faith. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never made him the Lord of my life. I've never been born again, but today I want to. Would you just lift your hand up real high? Anyone at all? Yes, sir, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Yes, ma'am, thank you. Yes, sir, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just all over, anywhere else? Anyone else? Would you all pray this prayer with me? Just where you're seated, just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, let's all of us pray this together. Heavenly Father, Jesus, I need you. I ask you today, come into my life. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you're alive. I believe that my sin is forgiven and that I am free today. Thank you, Jesus, that you're my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, 
Now, Father, I thank you for these men and women that have prayed this prayer. I thank you for the rest of this congregation that has released debts owed. I thank you, Father God, that we are free today. And Father, we thank you that we are free to love and to live in the joy and the peace that you've given to us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.